There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. We are discussing eight of the books that are nominated for the Silip Carnegie Medal, which is a prestigious prize in the UK for writing for young people. So we were talking about Rebound by Kwame Alexander. And we're here with Jamil Abawada, who's one of our reviewers on the show today, Nick Reynolds, Mary Rose Grieve, and my dazzling co-host, Rachel Hamilton. <laughs> we also have Jamil wanting to <laughs> do a little rap for us. Well, it's Can not that I want this? to. Um, so I was reading to? I was reading the book Rebound by Kwame Alexander and I was trying to get into it. And when I saw some rhyming, because it says it's poetry, but I said earlier that I don't think it mm. really is, except every now and then things do rhyme. And then I thought, okay, let me think about the uh, core audience and the writer and you know, they are from the hood. And I thought, yeah, I can see in some places it could be um, lyrics for a rap. So I actually played a beat and I tried to read it to the beat. And it does sound a bit like, I mean, there is showy offy language in some parts. If you want to play a beat, yeah. you're going to hear my faultless American accent. <laughs> Amazing. Kick so hot, his feet slow. Move so cold, you see snow. Tall as a cypress tree, bro. Game so lit, make sea grow. In your face, 3D show. Game so deep, it be low. Air so swift, you breathe slow. Watch me fly from the tree, free throw. Superman is sweet, yo. But Charlie is the hero. <laughs> Things and I didn't expect <laughs> to hear on the show today. And that is an example of, I mean, this is just trying to find empathy. However, I didn't find empathy in this book with the character and what he's going through and the struggles. Not that they're not real. And we hear too, I think we hear too much about them um, because there are so many in the rest of the world and... I, you know, we live in Dubai and uh, there are so many things happening um, in this region and further east. Um, so this is great. I wish that other people find voices, um, but it didn't resonate with me very much other than with my rapper self. I'm, I'm glad that you tried that, though. I'm glad that you, you put in that, <laughs> freed, freed that extra effort. I mean, Nick, you didn't you didn't come well, prepared you know. with a rap. <laughs> I didn't know there was a you know rapping show. I didn't realize that was what I was in for. Mary Rose, final thoughts. <laughs> I, I, that rap was amazing. <laughs> I, I, um, I, well, do you think it's not it will my win? favorite? No, I, I don't actually. And um, and it, it it's it's you know it's it's good, but it's not as good as the other one as some of these other ones here. But okay. it is America, and anybody can win in America, as we know. Anyway, um. <laughs> we're going to move on to our next book. So, transporting you to the Philippines in 1899, because we are going to talk about Bone Talk by Candy Gourlay. And what's the book about? Well, I'll let Candy tell you that. My book, Bone Talk, is set in a bit of history that a lot of people don't know about. In 1899, the United States invaded the Philippines. Um, and the Philippines at the time was, uh, we had Manila, which was like a European city with bullfighting and opera. But just outside Manila, a short ride away, were tribes. And one of the tribes was the tribe I write about here, the Bontoc tribe. They were headhunters. Um, and the, the Americans were fascinated by the headhunters. My, my hero is a little boy named Sankad. And Samkad is growing up in the headhunting tribe. He knows what he wants to be when he grows up. He wants to become a warrior. Um, he knows who he is. And suddenly the Americans arrive. 
and everything changes about his world. Suddenly he doesn't know who he is, what he's supposed to be, where even where he lives, because they talk about this larger world around Bontok that he didn't even know about. So one of the things that we mentioned earlier, if you haven't tuned in before, was that the title was something that slightly escaped us. There's some wordplay there that Rachel and I both completely missed. Do you want to explain? <laughs> yes, what I was explaining was um, I didn't realise until I heard Candy in an interview explain the title of the book. And what she explained was originally the title had in her head been Tree of Bones, but it had never quite worked for her and she hadn't been able to get it right. And she was sitting talking to her editor about where it was set and the fact it was set in Bontoc. And so the title of the, bu- the book being Bone Talk is obviously a pun on that and works brilliantly. But because I've got a completely different accent, it didn't even occur to me. And I just thought that was such a nice kind of, you know, you get little nuggets when you hear authors speak. I thought that was fascinating. Jimmy, what did you think of it? Um, so first of all, I think it's a great book. Uh, I think what the uh, author did, so Candy, I actually went after reading the book and looked at the background. I didn't want to know any background until I, I read uh, the book. And what she's done, so right at the back, you see um, the research that's gone into it. Um, why she wrote the book is fascinating. Um, she, there was a, in, the 19, in the 1900s, Americans killed a lot of the people of the Philippines. She says almost a quarter of the population in a war that nobody knows about. Um, and that just starting there, something I didn't know. Um, in the World Fair in America, they had brought these tribes over. She wanted to write it as a book about the Americans in the World Fair and this tribe. And then she thought, why not write about it from the perspective of the tribe itself? Because she's Filipino. So that had to, to do with the research that she did. She did an incredible job. I mean, there are books that um, put you inside uh, an environment, and she does this very well. Um, so that's on one level. And then there were a lot of little things that I found very, very interesting. Um, how these people are just like any other tribal people. They start um, listening to spirits. Spirits guide them. They do a lot of stuff that actually is um, similar even in this region. For example, animal sacrifice. You know, a lot of people think, oh, that's crazy. But, you know, people in this region, they sacrifice sheep um, in Eid. And in the West, you'll sacrifice a turkey. And, you know, <laughs> it's what did the animal do? My, 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 my issue is... <laughs> The animal never signed up for that. But um, you find these things, you know, they have these core beliefs and they're just common throughout the world. And how she, I expected a different kind of ending, um, but I was pleasantly surprised. And I'm not going to tell people what the ending is. (laughs) Good, we don't like spoilers. Um, So yeah, it's transporting you to a village in the 1900s in the Philippines, as you say, um, headhunters, and how they how they just their day to day absolutely changes when the American Americans come, and it's just a story of around the world. They're, they're, it's not just the Americans who come, uh, but uh, progress. And of course, she tells you also about how they try to teach them civil civilization mm-hmm. and civility. I know this is a particular favorite of yours as well, Rachel. I just I love world building anyway, which is why I particularly like kind of fantasy and sci-fi. Whereas what I particularly loved about this is it was a world I had no idea about. So it was the same kind of sensation, but actually kind of learning some history at the same time. And I am utterly ashamed to say that I had no idea about the US invasion of the Philippines. And so I learned a lot from this book and felt quite humble. And because it's written so well from the perspective of the protagonist, 
you are there. And so all these things that Jamal raises, like being headhunters or this cut that you have to become a man or all these things that you might argue with in your own mind, you completely suspend all that kind of feeling and you are there with these people as they go through what they're going through. Sam Cad and Lukey and I just thought it was wonderful. Really good book. I agree. I, I, I was not expecting to like it. I think... Um, the cover had always put me off. I'd, I kept meaning to read it and then kept thinking, oh, I don't know, I can't. And and then I, I could not put it down. I thought it was so beautifully written. And even though it's a world so far away from what we know, I know nothing of the history. I've never been, shamefully never been to the Philippines. I know very, li- we know very little about it culturally, I, it, bizarrely, particularly in this region when there are so many here. But it, I, it, it resonated so much, so much. There was so much of it that I felt incredible empathy for them. She was, she's a brilliant writer. Yes. Um, and when the Americans come and she describes them as giants and monsters with funny hair protruding, they'd never seen anybody with white skin before. And I felt like I didn't know who they were either. I couldn't. Re- they didn't feel. Although I'm, we look more like them. I didn't f- feel in any way the same as them. I, 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 I felt incredibly moved she draws by you the, into their world yeah. so well that you, that you feel their fear and you you feel their shock and their confusion and there's a wonderful moment where the americans are trying to take a picture of something quite gruesome and the concept of what a picture is does not that it just doesn't understand because I've never seen it before. And I, and I love those moments where they're trying to explain in how would you explain a picture to someone who didn't know what a picture was or how a camera works and moments like that were really really interesting yeah. and really well done what did you think nick and oh, nick has one ah sorry I, there's me thinking oh we need to <laughs> let nick speak but we're deliberately <laughs> you, you made a comment about the cover mary rose yes. and actually this was one of the books where i was completely drawn in by the cover oh, were you? and shout out to kirby rosanis who's a filipino illustrator he's been to the festival before and he's absolutely fantastic i i love i do you know what it's not actually i love the illustration i think it's the red writing um but and how i don't know what it is about it but it, it it's the the red the red writing and the font just didn't sit it didn't do it for you no but then when i saw her talking about him and how he had drawn it then i sort of looked again at it and realized that um actually it's pretty it's a pretty amazing one of my favorite characters that i want us to talk about is lukey who is his childhood friend she's a girl and she's struggling with the gender roles that have been assigned so there's a there's a house of men and there's a house of women I think yes and Mm. she's also she's very good at providing balance so it's not that she makes the women look suppressed in any way they have their own kind of power spheres and they have you know they are strong but they are doing things that Lukey doesn't want to do and she specifically wants to do what the men the house of men are doing yes and I think she's a you could describe her as a tomboy but again with nothing wrong with that but again going back to the author the incredible part is this is all imagined it's not that she found she did have a diary and one of the one of her research parts was a diary of somebody who was there in american actually um but just being able to put herself into the mind of lukey and write her struggles is amazing mm. um and being true to it i actually i mean there are a couple of tracks that I made notes of to prove a couple of points. One of them has to do with Lukey, um, but also how I find it um, funny 
that still today, this is in the 1900s, in a village, in a tribe, a lot of people believe that fate guides so much and a lot depends on another world. And, I mean, here's a tract. Um, when Corporal Quinlan forced Luki back into the mossy forest, it was the spirits who led her to climb a tree, to hide her shame, to weep her disappointment. It was the spirits who made sure she saw the two mangily creeping through the forest so that she could hurry back to the village to tell the ancients. Um, so the spirits were guiding all of this. There's none, a of lot. this none of this was her being really <laughs> smart. There's, there's um, a lot of talk of destiny. That's something that runs through the how the, the tribe works and, and its and history. And through several of the books. Yes. If you can compare many of the books together, because that's a very strong point. We're going to look later at their house with chicken legs. And it's strong in there as well and in a couple of the others. And I do think these are really interesting themes for the age group that will be reading this. Yeah. Not, not necessarily just in terms of destiny, but that the plan... That is laid out for you. Yes, and, and you don't want it. Mm. <laughs> and, and the decision that you make and making a choice. And that's something that will come up in Long Way Down particularly. Uh, we've had a text in who, um, sorry, I don't have your name. It's not come through on the text message. The book that we are talking about is Bone Talk by Candy Gourlay. Rachel, was there anything that you really wanted to mention about Bone Talk? Because I know that this was one of your favourites. It was one of my favourites. I thought the characters worked particularly well together because just as Jamil said, although the main character is Samkad, Luki is the one guiding a lot of the action and making things happen. And so it's almost like there are two key protagonists, really. And I really felt myself in Luki, which is really interesting if you think about how kind of alien as a character she would be to me. But it was that fact, you know, when people expect things of you and they're not the things you want to do, this desire to be part of what the boys are doing and all these people saying, oh, you can't really. And just, I can remember what it felt like at that age to have those sort of sensations. And so I really, really got into this book and I thought it was really interesting and I liked the fact that it it talks to because the age group we're talking to with this are the uh, people who are on the edge of kind of almost moving from childhood to adulthood and it was the relationship between the two of them was at that point as well he was about to become a man at the point he becomes a man you know in inverted commas he can't have these play fights with Luki anymore they won't have the same relationship what happens next and I just thought it captured a moment in humanity, regardless of where it took place, but it was also a, a wonderful evocation of a place and it covered all these fascinating points in history like colonialism. I thought it worked on so many levels. Big fan of this book. Jamil, who would you recommend this to? Um, anyone who likes... I mean, I, I know we've mentioned it so many times. It, it does... I'm trying to avoid saying it, but like the things fall apart mm -hmm. comes up in my mind... Um, very well, because uh, even right from the start, she, describing um, village uh, voices. But anybody who really likes uh, good writing, she transports you there instantly from the beginning. Um, and anybody who is... So if you can see yourself, if you come from a culture and you are trying to assimilate or you have another culture being involved, today media is mostly Western, you can really see yourself in this book whatever culture you come mm -hmm. so if you're a bicultural person effectively or you're a bicultural child and i think most um, kids in dubai growing up here feel like they come from two cultures but and and actually the other important thing to say to say is that although these are books for young people all of them um 
are f- for adults as well. And I, I can't say more about how important it is that adults are re- reading these too. Just because it, it, they may have a slightly more childish cover doesn't mean that what's inside them um, is any less important. And they are as good as any other adult novel that you will get. And particularly this one, I think. It's a rip-roaring story, but there's a great deal of depth to it that works on so many levels i'd add as a parent of teenagers it is so good to read the same books that your kids are reading and have those conversations because you get into far deeper chats when you can talk about characters rather than them or their friendship group so wonderful book and actually if you hadn't told me that bone talk was a children's book or was on this list i would have picked it up and would have thought that it were for adults because it is that well written any Um, adult who's ever been young (laughs) (laughs) I thought that about Skinful of Shadows as well which is one of the books we'll be talking about later we've just been talking about Bone Talk by Candy Gourlay which is one of the books that's nominated for the Carnegie Medal this year it's one of eight books that we are talking about on the show today it's set in the 1900s in the Philippines and we have the wonderful author herself Candy Gourlay Filipino author based in the UK thank you so much for joining us on the line Good morning. Well, it's morning over here. Thank you for waking up to talk to us. (laughs) How's it been going? um, It's been going well. We've just been talking about your book, all massively complimentary, but we've got a lot of questions for you. So I'm going to get started with research. I'd love to know how much research you did for this, um, where you went to do your research and how much was involved and what that process was like. Well, um, I started working on the book six years ago, six years before it was published. Um, I started researching it. And what's difficult about researching the book is that, um, you know, it was it happened at a time when a lot of, um, you know, the Philippines, Filipinos didn't write their own history. It was our history, the books that I found written by Americans or elites in Manila and they were kind of racist about the people that I wanted to write about and so I was very very um, it was very difficult to find things that reflected the real voices of the characters that I was going to feature and it took a long time before I could really craft something that I felt represented um, the people from Bontoc um, and, and it took a lot of money. I was buying a lot of out-of-print books from strange places. And <laughs> I went to the British Library and borrowed newspapers from the era. I've, I visited St. Louis in Missouri because at the beginning, I thought that I would set it in a World Fair in 1904. Um, and then I realized that I couldn't write that book. I had to start from 1899 when the Philippines was first invaded by the United States. Um, and a lot of the books I, I, I borrowed, were I, I read, were um, the diaries of anthropologists, the diaries of people who were traveling around the Philippines uh, at the time. So it was really fascinating stuff. And really a bit addicting. I'm still addicted. I'm still searching for material from that era. You can really tell the research that's gone into it. It's um, Rachel here. There are loads of us in the studio all being very fangirly and boyy <laughs> about your book. <laughs> um, one thing, because I liked it so much, I went and I watched um, some of the uh, kind of the videos and things that the Philip Carnegie group have put up. And I loved what you said about cultural appropriation because it's such a kind of hot topic at the moment. I'd love it if you could tell us a bit more about that. You said that it's not about the colour of the skin of the author. It's whether you're doing harm in what you do. And I'd love you to tell us a bit more about what you mean. 
Um, I think what we we didn't used to think about that as authors. We didn't used to, you know, we're encouraged not to think about our audiences when we write when we write our stories. People say, write for the child within you, but you know, you do have to think about the audiences. I was writing as I was writing the book. I realized that the people that I was writing about are still there. So, you know, I, I went and visited um, the place in the Philippines where the book is set. It's called Bontok. Um, but the, the, at the, the time that I'm writing about is not, um, sorry, um, the, the, the area that I, was, I am writing about is now con- called uh, the Mountain Province. But in the olden days, it was called Bontok, and it was like a cultural region filled with different tribes. So every village had its own practices and culture and often its own language. And when I went there, I met people who lived there, and I realized that if they read my book, how would they feel? So Mm -hmm. everything that I did writing the book was all about trying to represent these people who had never read about themselves in a fictional um, environment, you know? And I, was, I kept thinking as I was writing this, what would a, a child living in Bontok now feel? What would a child living in the mountain province now feel if they read this book and saw themselves represented in a certain way? You know, in, in, in the Philippines, um, there's quite a kind of... Uh, there's an attitude towards people who live in the mountains. I, I, you, I, I, you can't deny that there's a bit of, um, we call it racist, but it's like people look down on them because they have this uh, very, uh, what they could put other people consider a primitive culture. But when I went there, I thought it was the most exciting um, and fascinating place because it is one place in the Philippines which has not, had its culture very much diluted by outside forces. The rest of the Philippines had the influence of Spain for 300 years. And um, the fact that this only happened 100 years ago means that those people um, in the mountain province um, were able to uh, retain their culture, despite the fact that we had been invaded by so many different people. Thank you. Um, uh, this is Jamil, uh, again, uh, fascinated by your book. I'll tell you, I mean, background-wise, I'm Palestinian. So um, it uh, strongly reminds me of Edward Said's Orientalism uh, book. And, you know, it has elements when you talk about the research. And I'm incredibly impressed. I really appreciate you going that extra mile, and it shows in the book. Um, not well, just one, of the, one, of the, one of the things I felt like was that... Um, when, when the Americans came to the Philippines, they saw this, um, this, it's a very amazing place. When you arrive, there, there, there are forests, and then there's a lot of rising cloud, and it's quite mysterious physically. The place is a mysterious and fascinating place. And then, you, and then the, they saw the, the people, and they were headhunters, and they got really excited about the fact that they were headhunters and immediately felt superior and thought, oh, you know, these primitive people, we must uh, civilize them. But, you know, when you think about it, you know, who were the big headhunters? You only have to go to England to find one of the most famous 
headhunters in the world. I mean, I go to schools and I say, who is the most famous headhunter um, in England? And everyone goes, Henry VIII. <laughs> you know, and then um, what about Europe? Uh, who invented the most efficient way to chop people's heads off? <laughs> the French. You know, if, when you think about it, um, those people uh, that I wrote about, they were headhunters, but actually they were farmers that was their their life was farming these yeah. extraordinary mountains growing rice and the only reason that they, they became exoticized into headhunters was because they they killed they that's the way they killed their enemies and there were small wars going on during that time village against village um and they had a real they had a moral and uh they had a moral reason why they chopped people's heads off but, Do I, I have mean, time to explain why no but uh, i i want to hear but i mean if, if i can continue from your thought that oh, sure, they, they, they're just saying headhunters and whereas the americans killed 250,000 people i mean if you kill a person with a bullet you're not a headhunter you what are you you know superior because you're not doing it um, face to face I just think yes respect to these people but do tell me why uh, they did that um, in their culture they believed in uh, that when you die you do not uh, you know in, in Christian culture you go to heaven uh, but in their culture when you die your your soul becomes a spirit so you, be, uh, you become a spirit and the spirit world lives alongside the living world and so their religion is all about making alliances with the friendly spirits and protecting themselves from the enemy spirits. Um, they believe that spirits, when, but if you die a natural death, it is on the invitation of the spirits. And so a natural death is if you die of uh, illness or if you have an accident. But if you die by the hand of a man or the, by, by your own hand, then that is not a natural death. And so uh, you are not invited into the world of the spirits. You do not become part of that invisible world. And so if they kill their enemies, that's the spirit of their enemy cannot join, uh, ally themselves with the enemy spirits that move amongst them. And so that, that is why they chop off the heads yeah. of their enemies. Yeah. Just, just yeah. to let all... It removes them from the, from the, from the world that, that, that moves around them. Mary Rose, I think you had a question for yeah. Candy. Yes, hello, Candy. Uh, it's lovely to hear you talking about your writing for your audience and writing for the Bontoc and, and bearing witness and remaining true to them. Um, but what's amazing is that it, the story has a universal appeal to all of us who aren't Bontoc, who don't come from there. And I felt very... Um, Oh, I just love the characters and I'm wondering, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to tell us about your new book, um, which I, I'm hoping we'll, we'll see some of these old ca these characters from Bone Talk coming up again. Um, could you, and are you going to be writing about um, St. St. Louis? Um, yes, I've, I've, I've started writing uh, a, a sequel to Bone Talk. And yes, it's going right. to be set in St. Louis. But I'm a slow writer. So <laughs> I can't promise. It's not going to come out. I don't think it can, I can fin be finished by next year. Um, I've promised my publisher 
an ugly draft by the end of this year. And <laughs> an it's been ugly a struggle draft. To, <laughs> a really, really, really ugly draft. Um, but uh, it's been a struggle to write because of the because of the Carnegie. I have so many events. Mm-hmm. I have not had a chance to sit down and write. So I can't wait until it's over. <laughs> no, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. I shouldn't say that. But I can't wait until all of these, uh, I've, until I've got some time uh, because I'm dying to, to get on with it. Oh, I can't Um, wait to read it. On that note, we will let you go so that you can get back to writing. Thank you so much, Candy, for joining us on the show. It's been a delight talking to you. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you for having me. Goodbye. Bye. Candy Gourlay there talking about the inspiration and research and all of the rest of it that went into Bone Talk, her book that is nominated for the Carnegie Medal. Do you remember when when they announced the winner? Yes, it is. Is it Monday the, or Tuesday? It is the 18th of June, Tuesday, yeah. 3 o'clock our time, midday. You can live stream it. <laughs> I haven't got it in my diary or anything. Um, <laughs> live stream uh, from their website so you can see it all. And I live streamed it last year. It's the most exciting thing. Yeah, yeah I watched it. It's really, <laughs> really thrilling. The whole thing is very exciting. So I'm, I, can't, I can't wait. Is anybody brave enough to give us a recap of the books we've already spoken about? As in their names, or you, you want <laughs> I could, a description? I could, I could, I could do it. So we talked about Bone Talk by Candy Gourlay, Rebound by Kwame Alexander, The Land of Never Endings by Kate Saunders, and Am I Missing Any? No, nope. nope, that's it. That's it. Fantastic. And obviously all the picture books. Okay, let's move on to Long Way Down. Um, it's one of the three books on this shortlist, including The Poet X and Rebound, that are written in verse. And rather than me tell you what it's about, let me hand over to the wonderful author himself, Jason Reynolds. Long Way Down is the story of a young man named Will Holloman. And uh, his older brother, Sean, is murdered. And the next day, he's decided that he has to, uh, unfortunately, follow the rules set for him by his community and by the traditions of his community, which are no crying, no snitching. And most importantly for this story, you always seek revenge. And so he gets up in the morning and he decides to go downstairs to find the killer of his brother, to uh, you know, return the favor, so to speak. And he gets on the elevator, and the majority of this story takes place on that 60-second ride um, on the elevator as he is uh, forced to make a really tough decision about which path he's going to go down. So a succinct description of the book there, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, play out Jason Reynolds' inspiration for this book as well because it's very moving. I think it's important for us to discuss the book. I grew up in an environment where this was a normal thing. I still live in an environment here in America where this is a, a normal thing, where you know young people feel the pressure of their neighborhoods and their sort of familial traditions and uh, the, the, the mistrust of the government and police officers in our communities, the, uh, the miseducation, uh, there's poverty, there's politics, there's all these things sort of weighing down on very young people who then push them into corners of anger and then everybody says why are they so angry let's talk about gun violence and yes we of course should talk about gun violence but we should also be talking about young people in their lives and why they feel the way they feel um, which to me is I won't say far more but just as important as uh, talking about how to regulate guns in, in our country. So Jason Reynolds they're talking about Long Way Down um, the book that is nominated and that we're talking about at the moment and talking about that we don't seem to be asking why these kids feel the way they feel and addressing that trauma. Now the book itself all written in verse all very short snappy poems that link everything together. What did you think? 
I thought it was fantastic, to be honest, but I know not everybody yeah. agrees, so it'll be interesting to have a chat about it. I thought that verse is interesting to me because I love poetry, but that's not the same as a novel in verse. And what I think that poetry can do is it allows you to play with structure, to play with how it looks on the page, and there is so much you can do with it. And whereas Kwame Alexander's book I thought was great because you had the kind of basketball beat, that, that was all it did for me, whereas this had far more depth. So you had poems like the one about how he felt the world had been shaken by an earthquake where on the page you see the poem split in two. You had differences in the kind of structure and how fast it happened when the, the bits were happening quickly. You've got moments where he writes just so beautifully that I that were missing for me in Rebound. And so I thought the structure of this was fantastic, the, the one-minute kind of descent. And also the way he wrapped poetry around it, he wrapped wordplay around it. There's all these anagrams. I just felt that it worked on so many levels. I felt like kind of my brain kept being hit with new thoughts and new informations and new visuals. So for me, I thought this was a great book. Jamil? Okay. Um, I'll say this from the perspective of a reader who didn't, I didn't know this kind of book existed mm -hmm. before. Okay. Um, so let me start with something funny. Um, I have more of a British uh, background in terms of reading. I mean, think BFG. And like, so I thought it's for young people yeah. and it's verse and it's poetry. So I happened to, as soon as I opened the book, the first page I opened was page 161. And it says, I fanned and coughed. What I thought it said was I farted and coughed. And I thought it's going to be a funny <laughs> book. You were mistaken. And I <laughs> was were very wrong. mistaken. I thought, oh, this is going to be fun because of the kind of British thing. And then I reread it and I, oh, I made a mistake. Um, and I, I, here's my thoughts, again, as a total novice to this kind of writing. Um, I'll say that I'm, I respect what he's trying to do. I like the fact that there's a, um, you know, a 60-second elevator ride and he's trying to ch guide young people, maybe like him, again, who are in the U.S., um, I have very little in common with these um, and he didn't manage to pull me in because, and now here's a couple of things. One, when I think of a book of poetry, here you have a title on top and then words below and it's just bold on top and words below. The title doesn't describe a poem. For me, if it was a series of poems, each one should stand alone. This is the first thing in that description. Um, and then just... Some of them, uh, look, I'll be honest, I'm, you know, everybody can have a different opinion. If I were to um, mark this, if I were a teacher, <laughs> I'd just say that this is somebody who's very lazy and they're calling it poetry because they haven't got much to say. Rebuttal, Mary Rose. And I know in terms of, you know, many of these pages are very short and I think, why is it so short? And I get that he's trying to move it along and move it yeah. forward and all of that. But that's, again, my initial, I think it's a, a quiet taste. So I did this book with my group of shadow, shadowers in secondary, year eight, and I had four year eight boys who don't often take books out of the library. And I said to them, what should we do? And they said, let's read this. So I read this book out loud to them. Now, the irony, I kept saying to them, look, this is ridiculous. I'm a, a fat, middle-class, white, female librarian from the UK and I'm reading about a teenage black boy who comes from uh, New York and he's part of a gang in the hood. I, I don't sound like him. I don't look like him. We are millions of miles apart. Um, so I was trying to say... So I, 
I thought the boys are going to be like, oh, this is ridiculous. I didn't put the accent on when I you, read you it. You didn't rap? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. But even though it was me speaking it, all of us were absolutely hooked on it. And um, in the way that you were saying you didn't like Rebound because it felt like you just wasn't Disjointed. meant for you. I think this is so beautifully done. The play of words, the use of anagrams, the way um, it flows into each other, the, the structure of it. It's it's just so clever. And it's incredible. Uh, I think it appeals on a level that I can get that it doesn't. I'm not a reluctant 14-year-old boy who doesn't much like reading. He, he wrote this book for those boys that I go, there are no books out there for me because there's nothing that's written for me, about me, um, that I can recognise. So even if I'm I'm not the intended audience, I still found it to be... The, I, I just I, I loved it. I thought it was extremely well done. Can uh, I also rebut with an example? Because what you've said is that none of them feel like poems. It's just everything kind of lazily shoved into poetry I, form. I, I, no, my point is most of them don't oh, feel okay. like poems. Because there's one that I thought was really powerful. So it's the one, you know, the one I felt like crying. Mm. I thought that was lovely. And if I just, it's quite short, so if I just read it. The title, I felt like crying, which felt like another person trapped behind my face. Tiny fists punching the backs of my eyes, feet kicking my throat at the spot where the swallow starts. Stay put, I whispered to him. Stay strong, I whispered to me. Because crying is against the rules. To me, that is a poem. And that is a beautiful mm. poem that people can kind of pull into. I appreciate yeah. you're, you're saying some of them are. But I think there are several examples like that. And I think you can take, not all of them, but you can take quite a lot of them as standalone poems that you sort of stick up on your wall as an angsty teenager. I used to do things like that. I still can't figure out why this isn't my favourite because you read that just then and it gave me chills in the same way that as I was reading it, I got chills and I was completely captivated by his use of language. And I cared about the character as well. And yet, as I was reading it, I found it incredibly easy to put down. And I could have left the book not knowing what happened at the end, which is slightly bizarre. The interesting thing for me is I, as I read it, I desperately wanted to teach it, which was a, quite a weird thought. <laughs> and I remember I taught, um, do you know the Inspector Calls, the mm. play? Yeah. It had the same feeling for me that whereas if, when you're yes. teaching kids, as, as you steadily go through, different bits are revealed. And at every point you watch the class kind of almost gasp as they realised what the next thing has, is happening and this is like a modern day version and you can imagine the class coming down in the lift and at each floor they pick up another passenger in the lift and another piece of the story and I just I don't know there's something really powerful about this this is definitely one of my favorite um so we were speaking earlier about how I think Rachel and Mary Rose you're big fans big of this fan. book yes. yeah. Jamil not so much I respect it and I appreciate it, but I found it put downable and I'm really confused by my response to the book. Um, but one of the things that I do love about it is hearing Jason Reynolds talk about his inspirations for it. And I know that you watched this interview before we heard a couple of the clips on the show yes. and you were quite moved, weren't you, Rachel? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think he speaks incredibly well, which is why he writes so well. And I just think the points he makes are really kind of direct and simple, but powerful. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, are we going to hear him talk now? We are, very, in, in a moment. Brilliant. And he talks a bit about the fact that he's not so much kind of writing to teach people, but more to kind of witness what their lives are like. Um, here he is talking about that. 
it's written in a very sort of this choppy verse, right? That way I can I can ensure that every young person reads it, that they're not intimidated by the language or the or by all the words on the page, because not everybody's a reader. And the kids I need to read this book usually are the kids who typically aren't the readers, right? But I need them to know that they too matter, that their stories matter, and that there are books written for them. And earlier we were talking about Rebounds and Kwame Alexander, and that's when we started to discuss this idea of having a novel in verse and how interesting that was because it's one of three on the list. And Jason's reasons for writing the novel in verse are really interesting. My job is just to bear witness to the lives of young people. Uh, I think that's more important than anything. I think as adults, what we tend to forget is that the greatest gift we have is our ears, right? the ability to just sit and listen to the truths coming out of young people's mouths or to pay attention to the things that are not being said um, because they are just as loud as all the things that are being said. And, and to really sort of love young people and to, and to care for them in a way that fortifies them. Is, I think, is, was that the same... Yeah I, yeah, I think that's just so moving because so many books that you read are trying to kind of tell people what they should do. And I like the ending of this book very much because, again, I could see it being taught in a classroom and having that chat. What does it mean? The, the ending, he deliberately leaves it kind of ambiguous and open. And so different readers, I'm sure, will think of a different action they would take in response to that final question. And I just I think it's so well done because it means you don't lose any of your readers. Without spoiling anything, did... Did you get confused by the ending? No, because I, but I felt it was deliberately ambiguous. So okay. I could see how somebody would be confused because he doesn't tell you what to do. He's asking the question. So we are going to move on now to The Poet X, unless you have any final thoughts. Um, but before we do, do you think this one will win? I would actually strong, strong like it to. Yeah, it's one of my top three. Based on the ones that you've read, Jamil, do you like this one the best or do you think... I think out of Rebound and this one, Long Way Down is better, as you say. It does have the depth and it does have something, um, a, a better message at the end. Um, but in terms of quality, Bone Talk is um, it's a novel and it's a book and it's a story that's incredibly well researched that needs to be read. Yes. Yes, yes, that's my other one, another in my top three. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the other verse novel in our list. So we've got The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. She's a slam poet. Um, this book surprised me. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I fell in love with it. It's a novel in verse about a Dominican-American teenager in Harlem seeking refuge in language and slam poetry from the various issues in her life. And because rhythm and language are so important in appreciating this book, I'd like you to have a listen to Elizabeth recite one of the poems that make up her novel. This is The Night Before First Day of School. As I lie in bed, thinking of the new school year, I feel myself stretching my skin apart. Even with my Amazon frame, I feel too small for all that is inside me. I want to break myself open, like an egg smacked hard against an edge. Teachers always say, each school year is a new start. But even before today, I knew I'd been beginning. So that's just a very short example of one of many beautiful poems that make up this book. Initial reaction? 
I this is a book that I would like my daughter to read. Mm. I think this is a really interesting book about what it is to grow up as a woman generally and also in particular neighborhoods and to kind of develop physically before you've really got there with your head and you have to cope with how people around you react. I was surprisingly moved by this and I felt because again it's it's not really talking to me but there's a there's kind of again human questions in it themes that affect everybody and there were bits where I was really choked up and she uses incredible details so the bit where I mean I, I'm worried about spoilers but the the relationship with her mother is very difficult it's strained <laughs> yes and so she pours her heart out into these books and there's a bit where her mother takes the the book that she's written in and I was literally I could hardly breathe mm. I was so shocked by that bit and so it's an incredibly incredible powerful story Again, it's verse, and again, it it has a poet writing poetry. You can you can feel that she's a slam poet. The the words just work so well. And this was the one. So I would never have done the rap <laughs> like Jamal did, Jamil did. But when I was reading it, I I felt the the poetry. I heard it as poetry more than the other two verse books. Yeah, I agree. I I just thought this was incredible, and and it. I mean, it works on it's talking itself about the power of words and poetry. And it, it and it is an extremely powerful book of words and poetry, if that makes sense. Um, I loved the, the relationship between her and her mother. Um, I mean, I, I had a, a te- being a teenager. It's hard. And uh, I, and there was lots of that I recognise fighting against your parents and and against what's expected of you and trying to say no and um, and battling with her mother's faith and what her mother is expecting her to, to become. It, you know, th- these these are universal themes of growing up and Absolutely. fulfilling a destiny. Or And, and it's just it's brilliant. It's brilliantly. She, she struggles with yeah. So her use of language is just so powerful. In so few words, she can say so much. You know, we were mm. talking before about how you'd write things on the wall and stick things up. There are things like um, their gazes and words are heavy with all the things they want you to be. And just just reading that, yeah. I could kind of buy into it. And this idea that sometimes someone says something and their words are like a catch of a gas stove, the click click, while you're waiting for it to light up and flame big and blue. Mm. And they're just such perfect descriptions of emotions and feelings it's brilliant there's just so much more to hear download our podcasts at dubaii 1038.com